This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to, fit, to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the women saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The second reading is from Romans, the fifth chapter. Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death came through sin, and so death spread to all because all have sinned. Sin was indeed in the world before the law, but sin is not reckoned when there is no law. Yet... Death exercised dominion from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sins were not like the transgressions of Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died through the one man's trespass, much more surely have the grace of God and the free will in the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for the many." And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin, for the judgment followed following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. If because of one man's trespass, death exercised dominion through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, just as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all, so one man's act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all. For just as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. 
The Gospel according to Matthew, the fourth chapter. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. The Gospel of the Lord. One of the things that you may not be aware of is that... um, Anthony Mako has a wonderful podcast called Postmodern Liturgy, and I encourage you to, to give a listen to it sometime. It's, it's good stuff. In fact, it's, it's too good stuff because I was on a perfectly good trajectory for a sermon until I listened to his latest one that began with the question of more or less, is it possible to experience Lent without experiencing shame? Darn. All of a sudden I found myself in high weeds and going in different directions. So I went back and I looked at the readings. And certainly, if one looks at uh, like Lutheran hymnody for Lent and Holy Week, one might be tempted to conclude that no, you cannot experience Lent without shame because so many of the hymns have to do with, oh my God, I killed Jesus. And it seems to me that our first reading today lies at the root of what will blossom and become this sense of Lutheran guilt, this sense of perhaps shame. For this is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden, the story that we have become so fond of labeling the fall. In form, It is what is called an ideological story. 
Ideological stories are stories that are written to explain something, to answer a question. And the easiest way to identify an ideological story is by the ending. A good example of a modern ideological story would be when we tell our children a story about angels bowling in heaven. And then at the end we say, and that's why we hear this rumbling during thunderstorms. In the same way, ideological stories end with saying, therefore, and then it gives its answer. Some examples of these in Scripture are the story of the Tower of Babel, in which it ends with, therefore, God confuses their languages. And it answers the questions, why do other people talk so funny? Or the story of um, Jacob wrestling with the angel on the banks of the river, of the Jabbok River, And it ends by saying, therefore, the name of this nearby settlement is Peniel, which means I have seen God face to face. The answer being answered in the question is, how did that settlement get its name? Or the story of the creation of Eve out of the rib of Adam ends with the statement, therefore, A man will leave his family and join with the woman and they become one flesh. And the question it answers is, where do babies come from? This story that we hear this morning is another one of these sorts of stories. And if you want to understand what the story is about, you go to the end. And in the end, it says, because you have done this, therefore, you're going to have to earn a living. There's going to be pain in childbirth. People won't live forever. And you're going to be creeped out by snakes. It lays out these are the questions that the story is answering. But over time, our incessant need to find meaning and to answer life's deepest questions sometimes cause us to bring deeper questions to some of these stories than they can answer. And one of the questions that we have brought to this story is, why is there evil? And why are human beings evil? We bring the full weight of human depravity to bear on this one story. And if you add to it, St. Augustine's insistence that this depravity is linked to procreation, you end up with a toxic mixture that leaves us with the message that human beings are messed up. And we're messed up from birth. 
and there's nothing we can do about it. This introduces shame into the picture. You may very well already be aware of this distinction, the distinction between shame and guilt. Guilt is when we feel bad for something we did or something we said. And because we feel bad, it spurs us toward different action. Shame, on the other hand, is when we feel bad about ourselves. Shame says you are the problem. And it leads us not to different action, but it leads us to despair. Because how do you change who you are? Can the story support this? I don't think so. Because the story is told not to explain why human beings are bad. The story is told to explain why we live in a difficult and sometimes frustrating world. The danger of failing to make that distinction is that it can make invisible the deeper, far more fundamental message of Scripture, which is that God created all things. God loves all things. And that God is working to renew and recreate all things. God is not working to fix bad people. God is working to bring about a new way of being in the world. Jesus does not begin his ministry by announcing that from now on people are going to be good. And those who aren't good are really going to get it. Jesus begins his ministry by saying, there is a new way of being coming into the world that is going to be different, in which there will be no more grieving, in which there will be no more disease, in which there will be no more blah, 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 blah. He begins his ministry by describing the heart of it, which is the bringing about of a different world, not a different human. And I think this makes all the difference. Because if we keep that in mind, then Lent does not become an occasion for self-loathing and self-flagellation. But rather it becomes a time to take an honest and clear-eyed look at who we are what this world is that we live in and what God is doing about it. A little bit of Lenten guilt isn't a bad thing. We can feel guilty about the ways in which 
our actions and words contribute to pain and suffering in the world. We can feel guilty about the way our words may have hurt people around us. We can feel guilty about the ways that we fail to care for this wonderful body that God has given us. But that guilt is simply the recognition of the difference between the way things are and the way things can be. The way God wants things to become. And that guilt should then spur us to action. Instead of the despair brought by a sense of shame when we say, there's nothing I can do about this. Certainly, we can never take our eyes off the cross, which comes as a constant reminder that this work, in the end, is God's work and not ours. This, we cannot recreate the world. We cannot bring the world into the reign of God. But God invites us to be part of it. God invites us to be part of the change agent in the world. God gives us a glimpse of what that reign can be like and then invites us to start living there now instead of waiting until later. To start living into that world where there will be no more illness. There will be no more hunger. There will be no more despair and God willing, no more shame. Amen.